Hello and welcome to Panic City, the podcast for the roiling emotions inside of every Mets fan. I'm Chadwick Matlin, an editor at 538 by day and a Mets fan by night, but only for like two hours and 20 minutes at night based on last night's win. Um, with me on the other line, it's Neil Statman. Payne, hi, Neil. Hey, Chad. Yeah, I'm the same, although, you know, they can't all be Jacob deGrom gems. Yeah. We wish they could. We've been saying this forever. Why this is think about this, Steve Cohen. Why don't you put in this improve, improvement? Have them all be Jacob DeGrom gems. I like it. You can't pitch for most of the season, but when he pitches, he pitches every day. Yeah, right, exactly. Because it all comes yeah, it comes out to like, you know, 30 starts or whatever. Just have him start the last 30 games. Wasn't Terrible he, idea. <laughs> wasn't in his in the postseason run, didn't he come in as a reliever at one point? And like imagining DeGrom as a reliever was like this sort of like terrifying idea yeah how much harder could he throw i mean he was throwing like 101 102 granted it was the sny um radar uh but i trust sny uh, their their broadcast is beyond reproach at this point so i trust that, that jake was hitting 102 on the radar gun uh in that game last night which is crazy like can we just say we made a big deal over the fact that noah Syndergaard when he came up could hit like a hundred uh, as a starter. We're like, whoa, that's really cool. He throws really hard. Jake has been throwing 101 and 102 after like major surgery. And he, he's just like, yeah, this is, you know, I'm stronger now. Deal with it. Yeah. So he is. So he um, is. Well, yeah. So that's, that's really, um, he's really just, He's too good. We, as we talked about, that's why he gets hurt, in my opinion, as a totally unimportant opinion. Um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, that that game last night was such a joy, and um, in part because it was against the Dodgers too, right? It wasn't just like any random. Oh gem. yeah, it was. It was against a lineup that that is just you know t- tortured, like Sandy Alcantara, for example. Just like it, it took him five starts to figure out how to beat the Dodgers. Um, but for Degrom, also thanks to Brandon Nimmo. Yes. Catches. Yes. Uh, it was really something. It was that... just an encapsulation of everything that's been right about this team. You had, you know, uh, Diaz came in with Timmy Trumpet, like in the in the stands, finally getting the chance to actually sort of uh, do his thing, and uh, he flummoxed the Dodgers. I think really the heart of the order um, in that in that save as well. So it was really like a little bit of everything that you want uh out of this team with maybe the exception of you know huge contributions from guys that we might talk about yeah so on today's show we're gonna be talking about francisco lindor and pete alonzo and um and the slumps they've been in and and you know whether or not they're coming out of them basically um there are other people slumping vogelbach and ruff and naquin have all cooled off from very hot starts with their time with the mets which you Um, called you you said that would happen uh, you know, Neil, I haven't learned much from my time at 538, but re- regression to the mean is like a very easy thing for me to have picked <laughs> up on by now. Um, and uh, and then we'll talk about the week ahead as the Braves are still knocking on the door three games back. But, but let's talk about the week that was first. Um, we last talked right after that Yankee series, right? I believe so, yeah. Okay. And we knew that there were good times ahead uh, with three, four games against the Rockies, and that was true. We took three out of four from the Rockies um, and have now split uh, two so far with the Dodgers with another one to come. Yeah, it was a four and two week. Yes. And the Rockies, that final Rockies game should have been 
a sweep. It, the, yeah. The Vermont test thing was very strange. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So, with all of that said, where does that leave us um, playoff odds wise? You know. So the division odds improved uh, over that stretch from seventy five percent last week to eighty three percent now. With the the playoff odds obviously being uh, at that greater than 99% level we've been talking about and the uh, World Series odds staying steady at 13%. But I think in general, productive week. Get that uh, eight-point bump in in the uh, division odds feels pretty good. And is that in part just because we're sort of running out the clock in a way? Like there's just less room for the Braves to make a run? I think that's right in in a certain way that just, you know, yeah, if you kind of hold steady – the fewer games left for both you and the Braves uh, helps. Also, the Braves have cooled down a little bit. They've only won six of their last 10, which is the same as the Mets. Uh, so, you know, they're they're not winning 10 straight or whatever it was like they, they were when maybe we talked the past couple of episodes. Yeah, <clears throat> it's really... It, it does seem like the Mets will hold on, but I'm not sure whether or not the Mets are still actually better. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's accurate, actually. <laughs> that's a really uh, accurate assessment of it. Because the Braves, you know, we talked about the fact that from before the season, they had the higher ELO rating. And now they still have the higher ELO rating, even though the gap has been closed. So it's sort of like, you know, 131 games of being two and a half or three games better than the Braves in wins and losses has been enough to kind of close the gap in rating, but not really that much. We're still 12 ELO points behind them. And that kind of feels right, right? Like we're talking about, okay, one of these teams won the world series last year and one didn't make the playoffs. And the one that didn't has been slightly better through 131 games. Okay. Does that equalize? Maybe not quite. Yeah, though we should note that Elo does not know who's on these teams. And so it's, right. it, you know, you saying they won the World Series last year, sure, but they don't know that it's Matt Olson instead of Freddie Freeman and that Spencer Strider exists and that, or, you know, the discrete people. They they know overall sort of, you know, pit, the right. model knows overall just win-loss and, and pitching, et cetera, but it's not... um. Or does it does it factor in pitcher ratings? It knows the pitchers. Okay. Yeah, so it would know like Spencer Strider has been a revelation, but then right. Ian Anderson hasn't. Uh, but it but wouldn't, not, not Von Grissom or something like that. Right, exactly. It wouldn't know about the position players. And that's true yeah. for the for the Mets as well. Although, yeah, I guess, you know, uh, Marte, for instance, my new favorite player that I'm constantly raving about in our Slack channel, uh, because he plays the game the right way and he makes it look easy. And uh, not many players can say that, but anyway, um, yeah, he, uh, you know, guys like him being new, they wouldn't know that uh, necessarily, except by noticing, huh, the Mets happen to be uh, playing a lot better this year. I wonder why. Yeah. Hmm. Um, all right. So let's, let's talk about uh, Lindor and Alonzo. So um, Alonzo entered August uh, with an OPS of 905 and um, he's now leaving August or, yeah, yeah, September. He's he left August with an OPS of eight fifty six. So that's a pretty significant decline. Obviously, um, that's not because of anything that's happened in the first week of August, where he mashed just as usual. Um, but since August seventh, the guy has a six oh six OPS with a totally normal BABIP of two sixty six. Not like you know he's been unlucky. Um, his strikeouts 
per game is still just about one per game. That's not that crazy for, for P. Alonso, right? It just has evaporated for him. It's, it's a true slump. That said, um, there are signs, if you look at this, his expected Woba, um, that he's already coming out of it. That, that really there was like a steep decline for what looks like um, a week and a half or two, and then there's been some fluctuation, and now in the last few games, he's on the rise. And so... Um, and so, you know, what do you make of Alonzo's struggle here? He was playing above career precedent all season long. Um, and so is this just a, a, a regression that was going to happen? And how should it change our understanding of whether Alonzo has really broken out of his the, the prior results that he had shown? Yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, uh, and that kind of gauging by the expected WOBA that you're talking about is off of these charts that they have at Baseball Savant, where you can look at the rolling, you know, past 50 plate appearances or however many you want and look at what uh, someone's, not just their WOBA, but their expected WOBA, which uses, you know, launch angle and uh, exit velocity and all those things uh, over time. And it is just fascinating to look at those and see the kind of the rises and falls. Like he had this great peak, in early August, uh, that was probably unsustainable. Uh, but he had had a peak like that a little bit earlier in the season as well. And then kind of gradually tailed off until, you know, around the, the all-star break, uh, and then kind of bounced back and had this another hot streak and then another cold streak. And so I don't think we really as analysts have like a great understanding still of why streaks happen or slumps hot hot streaks cold streaks all of those things like how much of that is just fluctuation in a uh, limited sample size around a player's true talent and how much of that is like due to they're fighting an injury or their swing isn't quite right or they're not seeing the ball especially well or like there's like a million little things that the players always talk about and I think in the past sabermetrics people had had a temptation to just be like eh, whatever it's just luck you're just assigning you know meaning to the the noise and the randomness of the universe but I think there's there's a lot to it like if we listen to the players and, and talk about it and I don't know if Pete had said anything about like oh you know there's some explanation for why he was um, not doing as well but whatever is wrong, as you mentioned, seems like it's gotten a little better recently. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know how much of it is just we we must accept that a, se- a full season will have multiple peaks and multiple valleys within it. And you just accept that and ride them out. I think that's probably the best way to look at it, right? Yeah. And to your point, it's imperfect information to try and divine any meaning beyond that, um, because we don't know when people are nursing injuries, et cetera. And so the up and down part is sort of part of that's some of the joy of baseball, right? Because it also leads to these hot streaks that seem like it's incredible. Mark Hanna is basically on one right now. Um, yeah, you the, have to hope that like whenever one guy on your team exactly. is slumping, another guy is on a hot streak. Like if you'd somehow sync that up, which like makes no sense, there's no way you would ever be able to do that. But if you could, then you would consistently know what you're getting each night if you're a Buck yeah. Walter. Yeah, that said, I wonder though if there's a psychological aspect of it to know that your team needs some support because the big hitters aren't hitting. And so, you know, you lock in more if you're if you're sort of, otherwise bored of the plate. I mean, the baseball season's long. You probably need some motivational 
things like that to get you going. But then you um, might end up pressing and it might actually yeah. hurt even more. So I, yeah. I think you can always find a way to spin it in uh, yeah. a positive or a negative. But what I'm hearing you say is you're not seeing anything in particular that's making you concerned about Alonzo's approach or a power drought or whatever else. No, I don't think so. Uh, like his you know, underlying numbers, like you mentioned, maybe he's walking a little less during this stretch, uh, but he also is striking out less, which I think has been sort of a theme for, we talked about the Mets as a whole. And as Pete Alonso goes, so do the Mets in, in most ways. And this has been a season of him showing a lot more plate discipline in terms of like being able to make contact and focusing on that. So it's interesting to me that his slump hasn't really been about like, striking out more in fact he was striking out more when he was doing better which is interesting right maybe that speaks to a change in approach in like a counterintuitive way right yeah and his k his k percentage this season is 19.8 that's the same as he had last season interestingly right but um, much, but much lower than much lower. exactly yeah. um and and commensurate with that his average is far higher than it has been in his career. He's at 271 now, and it was it was up in the 280s before the slump, um, and and he hadn't batted better than 262 in his career. And and you know the other thing that's easy to forget with Alonso is he's still young, right? Like he's still just now entering his prime years, um, and and um, hopefully will be he will be paid appropriately given that. But it, he's early enough in his baseball journey that it does make sense for him to have a breakout four years into his career, you know? So, so I think that helps shade what to make of over performance based on career uh, baseline and, and what, and what's real and what's not when, when there's a slump. Yeah. Most players peak, you know, at this point of their career or within a couple of years of that. So, you know, if he's having like a peak season, then, and I don't know that I would classify this as necessarily like the peak season for him or whatever, but it's definitely a good one. It's it's what we were kind of hoping for yeah. going in. You wouldn't you wouldn't turn your nose up at this type of season from him for sure, if that's what you knew going into the season. Okay, so if we're not panicking about Alonso, should we be panicking about uh, Lindor? Yeah, well, so th- what's interesting for me? So I was thinking when you were like, "Hey, let's dig into both these guys," and they both have had actually kind of coinciding. Uh, slumps which is interesting both sort of dating back to the early like first week of August and really kind of bottoming out in that final week of August but then upticking a little bit Uh, it's it's remarkable how similar their patterns in terms of like the expected WOBA uh, have have been I surmised I said well I probably would think Lindor a slump by him at the plate would be offset a lot more by his defense uh, because, you know, God bless mm-hmm. Pete Alonso, but he's not really adding a tremendous amount with his glove. Uh, whereas somebody like Lindor, a huge amount of his value. And I think one of the big reasons why we talked about this um, a couple weeks ago, he statistically has been the best player on the Mets by war, if not by reputation, has been because of his defense in a way that's a little bit maybe makes him underrated. Uh, I would have expected that his defense sort of compensates for a slump. And that was true earlier in the year. So, for instance, he had a really kind of bad period um, in like 
you know, mid-May. Uh, but his defense was still, like, pretty good at that point. So it offset it. Uh, and then there have been other times where his defense wasn't as good if you're looking at, like, range factor plays made per game. Uh, there was a really bad period for his defense in uh, early to mid-July. Uh, but his Wobo was good during that period. So it, weirdly, he has uh, he's had these things where, like, his ups on offense are uh, offset by downs on defense or vice versa. And, and he synced up both being really good in that early to mid-August period we were talking about where both his – he was just making, like, five plays a game in the field. His Woba rolling 20-game average was, like, almost 500. Crazy. Uh, hmm. But oddly, his range factor over the last 20 games, his rolling average now – is one of its lowest points of the season, if not the lowest point, and it's coincided with his batting being not as good. So that, to me, I thought was really interesting and kind of flies in the face of my hypothesis that a player like Lindor could add something with the glove even when he's not hitting well. Well, that only works when he's actually doing it, and we know that like shortstops you know, probably have more variability in how much they add on defense from game to game just because there's so many chances you know, for them to either make a good play or make a bad play depending on um, you know, how things go for them. Uh, whereas Pete Alonso is like adding a very low, almost nothing like baseline uh, probably on average per game that he plays at first. It's like, you know, you can only fuck up so much at first, but you can only also do so much. Like he had a pretty good scoop on, I I think it may have been a either McNeil or a Lindor throw to get a guy uh, last night, but it was like, okay, those plays are a little uh, few and far between, but with Lindor, you know, it it seems like he is uh, making, fewer plays in the field than his overall average, but I don't make too much of that. Uh, Again, he's still been the best player on the team all year long. And so I think it could be another thing where like, maybe you want guys to slump on September 1st, right? So then if they have this uptick and, you know, I don't know if it's based on buyer rhythms or just counter adjustments to counter adjustments, but like you want them getting hot again uh near on about i'd say uh you know 32 days from now or whenever the playoffs start right yeah that's interesting i mean i wonder is, is there research on on uh consecutive play and rest at all because it is the case that uh lindor has played as often as, as pete i think this year and, and really hasn't taken much time off even when he had that finger injury for slamming the the door on his hand um i think it was in may or june I wonder, Neil, if you've seen any sabermetric stuff about uh, rest and whether or not rest can reset someone, or is there? It's just so hard to know because it's similar to when a coach gets fired, where a coach is fired when a team is underperforming, and so then it looks like a new coach makes a team better, but it's only because they're just regressing to their to their higher mean. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's hard to say. Uh, I think there was um, some research done by the great uh, Russell Carlton uh, at Baseball Prospectus, where he looked at what the effect of days off were. But I think he actually found a a counterintuitive, uh, uh, like not that much of an effect, I guess, on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he says a difference between a hitter who had played five games in the last seven days and a hitter who had played seven games in the last seven days was about three points in OBP. Hmm. Uh, uh, so it's it's Not worth much. a little bit. They said over the course of a whole season, it would be worth an extra run. Hmm. 
So like, right. it's not nothing. And I, I think he looked at whether or not age was a factor, but he couldn't really find any kind of significant effect to that. Now, you know, this was in, I think, 2013. So it may be that if we looked at some of the underlying numbers that he didn't have at his disposal at that time, you might be able to find some, you know, greater mm-hmm. amount of significance mm-hmm. to the to the pattern. And it's not surprising to me, like, we've seen this in other sports that I think I've seen more research done, especially the NBA that rest days can have a huge amount, which is why the NBA has the problem with um, uh, load management, you know, keeping stars from playing important primetime games. It's like this stuff, they wouldn't do it if it didn't actually have a huge effect. And so it does actually have uh, an effect there. So I think for all athletes, rest is more rest is better. I think if you're talking about, they always ask about rest versus rust. And mm. is it, you know, is there too much of a good thing when it comes to time off? But I think it's consistently found that like rest is better and rust is not really as much of a factor. So what I'm hearing you say is that the best players should never play and then they would be even better. <laughs> well, you know, the Mets, uh, they're, they're in the midst of this tight uh, division race. Otherwise, if you just look at that 100 per, or effectively 100%, I shouldn't say exactly, uh, 100% playoff odds, that like if you've locked that stuff down and maybe for a team like the Dodgers or the Astros who have really locked down their divisions, mm-hmm. Dodgers, I think, I can't imagine there's any way that they would not be one of the top two seeds, right? Mm-hmm. That um, maybe there's a case for them to just, especially with uh, rosters expanding. Now they don't expand as much as they used to uh, on September 1st, but like give the guys some, some rest, you know, and that's might be a sneaky advantage. I'm sure the Dodgers mm-hmm. are aware of all this research. That could be a sneaky advantage to being a team that's so far out ahead going into the last month of the season is you're going to be way fresher for the playoffs if you can selectively rest your guys because you have less to really play for. Yeah. Interesting. 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 Okay. Um, well, let's leave it there. It sounds like uh, we aren't panicked about P. We are assuming that Lindor will reset, but maybe a little bit more concerned. Is that fair encapsulation? Yeah, I think I, I would say it's even like sort of equal between the two. Like uh, both uh, both showed that sign, like we said, of in their little graph of the uptick mm-hmm. in the expected WOBA over the last, you know, uh, handful of plate appearances. What's it been like a week, I guess. So, you know, that that to me is like eh, this this slump was normal. It's just the ups and downs of the season. All right. All right. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the week ahead, Neil. Um, we have one more against the Dodgers coming Kershaw. out today kershaw versus bassett i don't know if i'll be able to get this episode out in time so people may be hearing us after that um and then three against the nationals uh at home and then three against the o'neill cruises in pittsburgh <laughs> um so uh we'll talk to folks yeah i mean we're not gonna talk to people until after that that pirate series so it's quite a quite a number of games here. One, two, three, four, seven. Man, they're really packing it in around yeah. Labor Day. Yeah, seven games. Um, so I mean, the Nationals and Pirates are just cakewalks, right? Like, what what it, what is there to worry about? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's uh, our our panic for this episode should be just that last Dodger game. Like, I, you know, you never want to yeah. look past uh, opponents. Maybe O'Neill Cruz will hit. Maybe the concern is that O'Neill Cruz will hit a ball so hard 
that it actually uh, creates some kind of shockwave that yeah. injures players. Yeah, <laughs> it injures Jacob Degrom just sitting in the dugout. Yeah, how fast does a baseball need to be moving to essentially become a bullet? And and at which point it would be dangerous for someone to be on the other end of it because yeah. we are probably approaching that with O'Neill Cruz. I, I think um, that's a great question. Yeah, whom, whom just so everyone knows, I dropped in fantasy because the guy all that often. It's just that when he does, it's incredible. Um, all right, Neil. Well, that's that. Um, our theme song is by Mystery Mansion. Our art is by Pat Barrett. Our logo. Uh, no, we already did logo. Our control room emeritus is Tony Chow. For Neil Payne, I'm Chad Matlin. Swim the most swim. swim. Splash, splash along the splash. splash. And, and chug Vogelbach chug. chug.